All right, uh, Colossians chapter 1, if you would look with me at verse 1, and we'll read down here through verse 14. The scripture says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what, we, what this passage says is he begins to thank the Lord for these believers in Colossae that uh, have come to know the grace of God and truth, they know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're actually bearing fruit in their lives. And so Paul's really excited to hear the testimony um, of their faith in Christ, uh, the testimony of their, their hope for the knowledge of Christ's return. And, and he prays for them in verse number 9. He says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so what we began to look at last week is Paul in this text says there are things that he's going to pray for them about and things that he desires to see happen in their lives. Now they're saved. They're, they're believers. They've trusted in Christ as their Savior. And they're being fruitful. But there are still things that Paul desires day in and day out, moment by moment, to see accomplished in their lives. And the way that I, we approached this last week is um, if you're a parent in here, um, think about having this desire and being able to pray for your teenager, for your child in this way. Now, if you don't have children or um, maybe you're a teenager, this is how you can pray for each other. This is how you can pray for your own life. And, and uh, I hope that you see desires in this passage that you'll have for your own life. And the first one that we looked at last week was that they uh, might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And we looked at that and, and uh, we're just challenged to think about it, it, it changes our lives when we know God's will and when we follow that. When, when we are filled with the knowledge of what God wants us to do day in and day out, every moment of our lives. And then the second desire, verse 11, or verse 10, he says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So not only do we want these students, not only do we want our children to know God's will, but we want them to walk in it. We want them to, uh, there's so many good fruits, there's so many works that God wants us to do once we're saved, and we need to walk in that. So that was the, the second challenge we looked at that last Sunday night. And for this morning, we're going to look at the last two. And we'll start here in verse 11. He says, Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So, coming off of these, uh, the first two points, I want you to think about this. He, he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then he wants them to walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Now, let me ask you, when you're filled with the knowledge of God's will and you're walking in the way that God wants you to and you're seeing fruit uh, born in your life, you're, you're seeing people come to know Christ, you're seeing other believers encouraged, you're seeing growth in your relationship to your, to your spouse, you, you, you see growth in your Christian life. Once you're at that point, is there any temptation to stop? Is there ever temptation as you're, as you're being faithful to the Lord is there ever temptation to just give up, throw in the towel, and to stop being faithful in good, in good works, is, to stop being faithful serving the Lord? Well, there are a couple of verses that uh, the Holy Spirit gives us to warn us against stopping in our Christian life. Let me give you a couple. 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 3, he says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. You know, as a Christian, you can be, just be weary. You can be tired. And sometimes the um, persecution, sometimes the ridicule that you take for doing what's right can be so overwhelming that, you're ready, that you really are just tired of it. Well, Paul warns us about, uh, about not being weary. He also says in Galatians 6, he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So not only can we get weary, but if we stop doing what God wants us to do, the Bible says that's, that's fainting. He says, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be faint. Um, Titus 3, verse 8 says this, This is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. So part of the reason why the book of Titus was written so that Titus would confirm for these believers, you need to keep going. You need to keep doing what God has told you to do. Be careful to maintain good works. Now, you guys know that good works has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not we get to heaven. That's all settled through the blood of Jesus Christ. That he died for us on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day. And and Jesus Christ said on that cross, it is finished. He paid the price. So we're not talking about how to get to heaven. What we're talking about is living the Christian life now that we are saved. And he says, you know, there are Christians that they've not been careful to maintain good works. And what do they do? They get weary and they get faint. And so you can examine a time in their life where they were faithful. They were bearing fruit. But along the way, they got faint. Along the way, they got weary. And they stopped maintaining good works. They they stopped maintaining their walk with the Lord. So because that is a temptation, because there's potential for that in the Christian life, I think it will help us to understand the the importance of this desire that Paul has. And I think that the Holy Spirit has to see happen in our lives. Verse 11, he says, "...that we might be strengthened with all might." that we might be strengthened with all might. How is the believer strengthened? How is a believer strengthened? Hold your place here. We'll be right back. But look, if you would, with me, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 3. Just a couple of books before, actually the book before. you got Philippians, book before, a couple of before Colossians. Ephesians chapter 3. I was on repeat right there. Is it re, 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 re? Okay. Ephesians chapter 3 and look at verse 16. Now what's really cool is uh, we'll read this prayer of Paul. It's amazing how this is a, is a passage that's akin to the passage that we're looking at in Colossians. So uh, the scripture here says in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, in the inner man. So as a believer, God's Holy Spirit will strengthen our inner man. Now, this is really cool. The Bible talks about uh, in Romans 7, the scripture says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So once you're a believer, once you know Jesus Christ as as your savior, the Bible talks about our old man and our new man. And our new man is renewed in righteousness after the image of Christ. And so we have the Holy Spirit of God in us and we can be renewed, Romans chapter 12 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So to overcome the weariness, 
to overcome being faint, the Holy Spirit of God needs to give us a strength that we don't have in and of ourselves. And we need that renewing in the inner man. And uh, so how is the believer strengthened? The believer is strengthened when the Holy Spirit of God helps us to be renewed by through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God as we renew our minds. So that's how the believer is strengthened. Well, what does God's strength enable me to do? So if the Holy Spirit renews my inner man and the Word of God helps me to be renewed in my mind, what does that enable me to do? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you would, turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 15, the scripture here says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So he says, that we, we have this cause that we want glory to redound back to God. And so I'm not going to faint because that's a great cause. But the way that I'm not going to faint is by having my inward man renewed every day. And so that's why the scripture says, be careful to maintain good works. And we have to affirm these things constantly because we know that our Christian life, it's a marathon, right? It's not a hundred yard dash. And so every day we need to be renewed in our mind and in this inner man. So we will that day walk with Christ and that day walk in the the, the works and the paths that God has for us. Um, So it enables me to not faint. And then also look at Ephesians chapter 6 if you would, and look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. The scripture here says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So why do I need to be strengthened? What does this strengthening of the Holy Spirit help me to do? It helps me to stand in an evil day. Because sometimes it it can get weary standing. You can get faint standing. But when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, God enables you to stand. He enables you by being strengthened with His might to continue in well-doing. You know, that that gives us great hope. Look at, uh, let's look back at our text at Colossians. And we're going to see, it gives us hope because when we understand the magnitude of God's power, it is possible for every Christian, it's possible for every believer to live for the Lord, to walk in the way that He wants them to walk. It's possible for every believer to maintain good works in their life. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes you feel just so overwhelmed that there's no hope. But how great is God's power? Well, he says here in Colossians chapter 1, in our text, he says in verse 11, Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. Is God's power enough? Is the power of the Holy Spirit enough to help me overcome sin and live and do what God wants me to do and, you know, is God's power enough to help me love Him and live for Him? Is it enough? Is it, is, it, is it even possible that God's power is not enough to help me stand? 
You think about being a teenager, being in school and, and facing ridicule for you know, loving God, bringing your Bible to school and, and you know, letting everybody know that you go to church all the time. Is God's power enough to help you stand? Well, let me give you a couple of things. This is, I thought this was fun. All right, this is uh, all ties in the nursery, but this this part I kind of put in here just for him. But the United States Energy Information Administration said this: in 2012, the average nuclear power plant in the United States generated about 11.8 billion kilowatts per hour. There were 65 nuclear power plants with 104 operating nuclear reactors that generated a total of 769 billion kilowatt hours, or 19% of the nation's electricity. So all of those billions of kilowatt hours, and that's only 19% of what our country uses in, in power. The sun, it produces an astonishingly huge, an astonishingly huge amount of energy, 400 trillion trillion watts. I mean, that is more than the flux capacitor, you know. It's like 1.21 gigawatts or something. Now, our sun consumes some 1,000 million tons of hydrogen every second. That is enough power, this Dr. Louis Barbier said this, the sun's output is 3.8 times 10 to the 33rd ergs per second. Now, how many of you know what an erg is? Okay, I knew there would be one, all right? <laughs> That's actually really cool. Uh, about 5 times 10 to the 23rd horsepower. How many know what a horsepower is? How much is that? It is enough energy to melt a bridge of ice 2 miles wide, 1 mile thick, extending the entire way from the earth to the sun in one second. There's a lot of power in the sun. But I want you to think about the power of an eternal God that created the sun. After, or maybe during, the time that he created a bunch of other suns and galaxies and then put them in the universe where he wanted them. The God that is over that kind of power, that can generate that type of power, the scripture says that God wants us to be strengthened with might according to his power. Now, we could sit here and talk today about horsepower and, and, and different uh, powers that we're able to measure. But when you, when you talk about God's power, not only has God's power been demonstrated, has God's power been demonstrated in creation by what God is able to create. But if you look with me, look at Ephesians chapter 1. There was another demonstration of God's power that gives us insight into just how great this power is. And not only is the power great, but let me say this. The God that has that power, He's more than wonderful. He's more than great. He's infinite. He's eternal. And He has all power, is what the Scripture says. He is the Almighty. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number... Um, look at verse 18. He's praying here for the, the Ephesians, "...that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints." And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You know, the power that God has, he has the power to give life. And so as a believer, there may be times when I feel like, God, this is too much. I'm too weary. I'm too faint. I cannot go on. But that's just simply not true. If you will trust God, 
and plug into His source of power, the Holy Spirit, you can overcome when you're faint. You can overcome when you're weary. And you can maintain a a fellowship with Jesus Christ and walk with the Lord and love the Lord. No matter what this world may tell you and no matter what your feelings may tell you, it is possible for every believer to continue their walk with Jesus Christ. Now, there are times when it feels like it's too hard. But that's when we, in those times, it's even more important for us to go to the Lord and say, God, I can't do this. But you're the eternal God who created the Son, who who have got all this power, and you demonstrated your power by raising yourself from the dead. Now, what's cool is it's not only a power that was demonstrated in the resurrection, but it was demonstrated in the ascension. In this verse 20, he says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And just to think about that lifeless body there of Christ. You know, we know on the cross, the the scripture says that he gave up the ghost. Jesus picked the time and place that he would give up his life. He said, no man takes it from me. And so we know that uh, Jesus gave up the ghost. And I want you to imagine that lifeless body there for three days. But when it was time, the Lord had the power to indwell that body and to raise it up. And now the scriptures, you know, he goes and appears before Thomas and he has the nail prints in his hands and that wound in his side. But he's able to give that, that body life. That's the power that he has. But not only which was wrought when he raised him from the dead, but also when he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. How much energy does it take to get a rocket from the earth to the moon? Think about the, the, all of the, the energy that's involved, all the design that, that, that man put into getting a rocket from the earth to the moon. And in a moment of time, Jesus Christ ascends into heaven, past the moon, past Jupiter, past the sun, past the next galaxy. And in a moment of time, Jesus Christ has the power to travel through space and time. Again, his power is limitless. It's infinite. And the scripture says that God wants us to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's a supernatural power. You know what? You and I, we can't live the Christian life. We can't maintain good works if we try to do it in and of ourselves. Our flesh gets in the way, right? But when we will die to that and trust God and yield to His Holy Spirit, He will enable us to not faint. He will enable us to not grow weary, but to live for Him and to be faithful in it. So, Uh, Let's go ahead and look back at Colossians, our text there in chapter 1. In this text specifically, we're about to find out why we need a supernatural source of power. He says at the end of the verse, uh, "...strengthen with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness." Now... If you're a human being, I don't care how nice you are, I don't care how friendly you are, but how many of you would raise your hand and say, there is a time when my patience runs out? Yeah. I don't think I've ever told the teens this. In our yearbook, I got voted like, what was, you know how they have like most likely to succeed, most likely, I I wasn't that. Um, (laughs) But I actually got like most, it was like most likable guy. I was like the nicest guy at school, apparently, is what everybody thought. So how many of you could see that? 
These are jerks. <laughs> you know, I'd like to think of myself as a pretty nice guy. <laughs> but Shauna, <laughs> does my patience ever wear out? <laughs> okay, the dangerous question to ask in a service. Um, he says, with all patience and long suffering. Now, how many of you, you would say, oh, you, there have been times when you really weren't being patient, but you were able to hold it in. You were able to just hold it in. But you weren't real happy about it. <laughs> See, in our text, specifically here, he says that you and I, we're going to need patience. We're going to need to be long-suffering. You know why? Because God wants us to come to church with other people. And God wants us to participate in ministry with other people. And you know what people are like? You know what? Aiden, you know what people are like? They're, people are like people. You know what I'm saying? You know how people are. I can't believe he said that. Man, that guy's so stupid. Did you see that pink tie he had on today? Yeah. yeah you know how people are. They get on your nerves. They say stupid things. People are mean. I'm looking at some of your faces right now, man. People are mean. <laughs> We're sinners is what we are. And he says that, that he is able to help us be patient and long-suffering. I want you to think, who is our example in long-suffering? It's God Almighty. 2 Peter chapter 3 says that uh, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. So some men count slackness. What is that promise? It's His promise to come back. But the Bible says He is long-suffering. Brother Dave McCracken, how does he say it? He is long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know how many times... Our, it's it's uh, a little bit after 11. you know how many times today already God's name has been used in vain on this planet? You know how, many, how much filth and wickedness and sin that, that people have committed who have heard the gospel and have rejected it on this planet? You know how much that's happened already today? Uh, and it, it is fascinating. When you're at Walmart and they've got, you know, like one lane open and there are 5,000 people in the store. Why is it that nobody goes, man, Buddha. Oh, Muhammad. You know, probably nobody on the baseball field, you know, this week heard Harry Krishna. You know, actually, that's my one. That's one that you might actually hear. But why is it? Why is it that Jesus, the name above all names, why is that one used? But the Bible says God is long suffering. And the fact that God has not incinerated this planet and everybody on it is a testimony to his patience a testimony to his long suffering. You think about him being there before Pilate, and Pilate says, "Knowest thou not that I have power to to kill thee?" And and Jesus said, "You would have no power if it wasn't given you from heaven." Jesus could have just unleashed that power on on Pilate, but what did he do? He was patient. He was long suffering. He had a purpose. He was willing to die for you and me, and then rise from the dead and demonstrate his power. So it's a power that we need to be patient and long-suffering with joyfulness. And, and that is only something that the Holy Spirit can produce. You know, we can be nice to people, but only God can help us to have the joy. It's, one of the, it's the second fruit of the Spirit. 
In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. You ever feel like your faith is weak? Well, it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Just be filled with the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You, a law. you cannot pass a law. We could not pass a law in the bylaws of our church that would make everybody joyful. You can't legislate that. It's something that has to come from the power of the Holy Spirit. So being patient and long-suffering with joyfulness. Now, as a parent, you think about praying that for your child, that they would be strengthened, that they wouldn't get weary in well-doing, that they would be patient and long-suffering, and they would have the joy of the Lord in their lives. And then, so that's the one desire. The next desire, and the last one that we're going to look at this morning, is verse 12. He says, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father. Giving thanks unto the Father. You know what Paul desired for them? That they would be thankful. That they would be grateful to the Father. You know, unthankfulness is really ugly, isn't it? Think about, imagine giving somebody a, 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 a precious gift, something you spent time and money earning, and you give it to them, and you see their face when they open it, and they just, oh, I've got three of these, you know, and they just blow it off. How ugly is unthankfulness? Well, how, how ugly is my unthankfulness? Now, God here gives us some very specific things to be thankful for. He says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, you read a big phrase like that, and you may think, I don't know what that is, but it sounds really good. Imagine this, you know, what kind of cars do you have at the Detroit Auto Show? Somebody shout it out. It'll be like youth camp here for a second. What kind of, what kind of cars would be front stage and center at, a, at an auto show? BMWs, all right. Bentleys, Rolls Royce. I'm going to never forget the first time I sat in a Rolls Royce. That was unbelievable. I was tempted to really mess the car up. But no, they're at the MAG auto dealer there outside Columbus. Just unbelievable, the cars that they have. I'm sitting in there going, this is worth more than my parents' house, my house, and my uncle's house all combined. You know? Now, let me ask you, a 1987 Ford Festiva, would that be front and center at an auto show? Isaiah, what do you think? Where's Isaiah? <laughs> no. The, a Ford Festiva would not be up to par with Rolls-Royce and Bentleys. If you, even if you're not a car guy, let me just help you. It's not up to par. Well, you could say this. A, a Ford Festiva would not be meat to be a partaker at the auto show. Now, how many of you, here, here comes the question, how many of you have ever owned a Ford Festiva? Back in, oh, yeah, we got one. All right, what color? 86. <laughs> yeah. What color? White. Oh, man. <laughs> That's fantastic. A Ford Festiva would not be meat to be a partaker at the auto show. And you know what? You and I, in our sinful state, would not be meat to be a partaker of the inheritance. We would not be meat for heaven. But through the grace of God... He has made us, if you're saved, if, if you have come to the place where you realize that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from God, and that you have no hope, it, it doesn't matter how many times you get wet, it doesn't matter how many times you get, uh, you know, put money in the offering, it doesn't matter how many good works you do, that none of that will save your soul. It is only the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross that will pay for your sin. And, and you've come to the place where you've believed, that you have Ask Christ to save you and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead. If that's you, 
the scripture says you have been made meet. You've been brought up to the standard to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Jesus tells the Jews or forecasts um, in the future when he'll tell the Jews uh, that they are going to inherit the kingdom of God and it's prepared for them. And the scripture talks about an inheritance that we have. Uh, look with me at second, uh, I think it's first Peter, first, second Peter. Look at this inheritance that we have. It's first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one and verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Talking about being born again. There you go. We're, we are begotten again. We're born again uh, by believing this resurrection of Christ to verse to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. So you know what's amazing about this inheritance? God is keeping it in a safe place. It's in a place that it won't rust. It won't be corrupted where moth doesn't destroy it, where thieves don't break through and steal. It's, this inheritance is in a place where you can't squander it. Have you ever known somebody that received an inheritance and it was just gone? It, they, they, they were foolish and they didn't know how to handle the inheritance. God says, I've got an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. And you're not going to be able to touch it till that day in which I remove sin completely out of your life and you're able to enjoy it. And, and I know you as parents, you as grandparents have had those thoughts where you said, you know what, you're not getting it yet because you're not going to be able to enjoy it. And, but God, being such a loving Savior, says, I'm going to keep this in heaven where it's incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. You know, that's so different than everything we have here on earth. Um, I remember the first day I got my 2003 Honda Accord, and now I just had brakes done on it, calipers, and what happens to it? Things rust, things, you know, break off, thieves break through and steal, the Scripture says. But this inheritance, it's, it's God's reserving it for us. So we're made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. If you would look back at Colossians chapter 1, here's another thing. The scripture says that we can be thankful not only that God's made us meet to be partakers, but verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Translated from the power of darkness. You know what? I've been rescued. We've been rescued. Uh, let me give you a couple of scriptures. He says, um, God was, when God said he was sending Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. When he was doing that, he says in Acts chapter 26, he says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith in me. He says in 2 Timothy 2, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And you know, Jesus Christ, when he came, he saw a world that sat in great darkness, but he was the light to give light to the darkness. 
And today people, they go about in their sin, they go about in their way, and their minds are blinded to the gospel. That's why it's so important for us to continue to tell them and live out that light. But, you know, as a believer, you've been rescued out of that power of darkness. Can you imagine where your life would be today apart from Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ had never gotten you the gospel, if you had never heard the words of the scripture, can you imagine how, how apart from God our lives would be? Something to be thankful for, isn't it? So we are delivered from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And you can read all about that in Ephesians, where positionally we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And He right now is appearing in the presence of God for us. And there's nothing that I can do to mess that up. I I, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And uh, what a day it'll be when He comes back. I love the last verse of the Bible. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You looking forward to Him returning? And then verse 14 says this, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through His blood. You know, God did not pay money to redeem us. He didn't build some thing to redeem us. He laid down His life and shed His blood and fulfilled all of those Old Testament pictures where time after time after time, a lamb's blood was spilled, a spotless, perfect lamb. And if you remember that night when the Egyptians, God told Moses, you tell the Egyptians, put the, take the, the firstling of a flock and, and put his blood on the doorposts. He didn't say, put your church membership on the doorpost. He didn't say, put your baptism on the doorpost. He didn't say, put, put your good works on the doorpost. What did he say? He said, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It was the blood that was shed. And the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So in Christ, we have redemption. We've been bought back out of sin. We've been redeemed through his blood. And we have the forgiveness of sins. Are you glad you're forgiven? It's something to be thankful for, isn't it? The, the scripture says, uh, the Casting Crowns has a song, just how far is the east from the west? Because the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. In the Old Testament, the scripture says that God has cast our sins behind his back. Uh, this is a it's, a, it's an amazing paradox. God, who is infinite in knowledge, says that he can forget our sin. Okay. <laughs> I do not begin to understand that, but I'm forgiven. It's washed. It's done away. The Bible says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And we know in the Old Testament their sins were, for, were covered. Ours are forgiven and washed away. Paul wanted those believers at Colossae, he wanted them to be mindful of that. He wanted them to be thankful. And he wanted them to be filled with the Spirit and to be strengthened by the Spirit. So my question, two questions for you this morning. Are you faint? Are you weary? Well, yield to the Holy Spirit. There is a, an unlimited supply of power to live the Christian life in the Holy Spirit. And then are you, are you grateful? Are you thankful? God's made us meet to be partakers. He has brought us up to the level that we need to be. He's remade us, changed us. 
it, to where we can partake of that inheritance. We have the Holy Spirit. It's, it's unbelievable what God's done for us. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for...